Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to look at verses 26 through 34 and look at basically two, two themes that I want to talk about. There's more that we could talk about in here. But uh, again, Romans chapter 8 and starting in verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh us intercession for us with groanings which we can which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up, for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And in these verses here, there's, like I said, two points that I really want to spend some time on, and and there's many things that could be said. But the first thing, uh, two of the great privileges that are ours as Christians that we can claim, and one of them is that the Spirit will help us pray. Um, We see in the deal here that the first thing we see is our weakness in prayer. He makes the phrase here that, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. So we have an infirmity, we have uh, an inability to really pray like we should, or how we need to in this evil world that we're in, and the Holy Spirit helps us with that. Um, You know, in verse 26, it basically tells us, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Isn't that interesting? And uh, the thing is, we don't know how we should pray. Uh, And it could be because of what it says in James uh, chapter 4 and verse 3 that we pray so that we can consume it upon our own lust. In other words, I want things. I want want possessions. I want whatever it is because I've got these desires and I want to go out and do this. So here's my Christmas list, Lord, fill it. You know, and so we have the wrong attitude in our prayer life. And so we don't know how to pray. It's also because we're limited in information. Because we don't know the future. Um, you know, the, you know, it can make our prayers short-sighted. Uh, I think one of the best descriptions is we want the fruit before it's ripe. Um, you know, one of the, I've used this illustration before, but I can't really think in the Bible of a better one. And that was Joseph in prison. And when the butler 
and the baker were both cast into prison, and they had their vision, and, and Joseph gave him the ability to diagnose those vision. What did it mean to interpret it? And he told the baker, you're going to lose your head. And he told the butler, you're going to get restored to your position. And then he told the butler, when you get back before Pharaoh, remember me. In other words, share with Pharaoh how I've been mistreated and improperly put in here. Now, he asked that butler to do that, did he not? Does that not what the scriptures say? And if you were in prison and you thought the guy that could let you out, which is Pharaoh, and you thought you had a man just about to go see him, maybe you knew he was going to get restored, you know, you'd put your petition out there. Don't you think Joseph probably also prayed about that? That you know, hope I hope that butler, you know, let the butler tell him to let me out. Well, what would have happened? Because it was two years later when Pharaoh had his dream, and then the butler remembered. And Joseph came forward and was able to share the Pharaoh's uh, dream and the interpretation of it. And then Pharaoh made him the prime minister. But just think what would Joseph, if Joseph's prayer had been answered immediately based on his limited information, I just want out of prison. How would you ever dream that if you're in prison today that you're going to be prime minister in two years? You know, that wasn't on his radar. I mean, would you agree with me? That wasn't a very likely scenario. The only best case scenario for me is I get out of prison. But then I go home. How do I look at the past 16 years, 15 or 16 years of my life that I've been in prison, sold into slavery by my own brothers? How would you look upon those years? If you had been dishonestly sold into slavery and then thrown into prison and you've You've had 14 years of your life or 15 years of your life took away from you. How would you feel about those years? What, how would you describe it? Wasted years? Stolen years? And then he goes home and he tells uh, J- Jacob that your sons did this to me. And Jacob sits there and said, yeah, and they put blood on your coat from a lamb and brought it back to me and let me believe all these years you'd been eaten by a wild animal. Tell me what that would have done to the fabric of that family. Plus, then just seven or nine years later, the famine would have hit. And then Jacob and his family would have starved to death. So, but I'm sure, I mean, you're sitting in prison. Here's a guy about to go see Pharaoh, the one guy that can let you out. And you, and he asked the butler to remember him. So you know he probably backed it up with prayer. Lord, let him remember. Trouble was, it wasn't the proper time. In God's perfect time, he wound up being the prime minister. He wound up being the refuge for his entire family. And so sometimes we get impatient with the Lord, but we're asking for the fruit before it's ripe. And so we don't know how we ought to pray. Uh, Notice that Paul included himself in that statement when he said, we know not. The great apostle Paul, he's including himself in that. He says, we don't know how to pray in that verse. So we see the... We see the other assistance that the the Holy Spirit gives us 
is he helps us with our infirmities. In verse 26, and I'll read it again, it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us. So we don't know how to pray well by ourselves, but the Holy Spirit then intercedes for us. And um, we see here that he helps us with our infirmities, and this is especially speaking about our, in, our infirmities in prayer. The Holy Spirit is described as one that comes up beside or undergirds us to help us. That's his description of his ministry. But the Spirit helps us pray if we have... Let me... I've got to back up a little bit. It but for the Spirit to help you pray, if he's going to make intercession for you, what do you got to be doing? you got to be praying. The, the Holy Spirit can't help you get the right words out, even if you don't know the right words, if you're not even trying. So the thing is, is even if all we can say by faith is Abba, Father. In other words, I know where I need to go. I need to go to the throne. And I'm going before the throne, but I don't even know how to pray. I don't know my heart's tore up or my feelings are tore up. I really don't know what needs to be done. I know there's a crisis in my life. There's something going on or there's a situation in others that I deeply care about. And, and I don't know exactly how I should pray. Brother Carl was very ill. Wouldn't we have loved for him to have got his health restored? But he's walking on streets of gold right now. You know, Miss Ingrid's going through the loss, and Cindy and the other children are going through the loss. For Brother Carl, that would have been like holding me down. You know, you know, the Lord answered the prayer in a different way. We, that's the reason we need to pray the Lord's will be done. And, and it's important for us to always remember that, that he'll never get it wrong. But there's a saying out there that says, we cannot without God, and he will not without us. In other words, if you want the Holy Spirit to help you intercede in your prayer, you better be praying. And in the other areas of your life, if you want the Lord to bless you, like, you know, you need a job, go look for the job. You know, pastors is a saying that we've heard a hundred times is God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. You know, uh, but like I said, the Lord expects us to do what we can, and then he will do what we can't, uh, be it in ministry or anything else. Uh, the It says that the Spirit, in verse 26, makes intercession for us. In verse 34, it says Christ intercedes for us in heaven. And in verse 26, the, the Spirit intercedes for us in our hearts with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that he searches, talking about the Lord, that he searches our hearts. Is that a sobering thought to any of y'all? I mean, I can sit here and say a lot of the how much I care about you and how much I pray for you and all this. But God knows if I'm telling the truth or not. You know, that every idle word business, I happen to be a person that talks quite a bit. I'm going to have some things to answer for probably. Uh, but the thing is, you can also be guilty of what you don't do as well as guilty of what you do do if, you, if there's things wrong. So the thing is, he searches our hearts. 
And he will faithfully express to the Father our hearts. Now think about that. In other words, we, we really don't know how to pray, okay, and we need help. But if I'm praying for a brother and sister in Christ and I really don't give a flip, but I'm just going, I, I got a duty so I need to be praying, God knows my heart. You know, I need to be thinking about that. God knows my heart. And, and he will intercede to the Father in accordance to our heart. And, um, and then he'll, the Holy Spirit, his job is to bring to our hearts. In other words, the Holy Spirit will reach up to heaven and express things that we don't know how to express ourselves. Jesus Christ, God the Son, will speak, will intercede with the Father on our behalf because we are sinners and we don't deserve it, but we're children of God because of what Jesus did for us. But then the Holy Spirit will talk to our hearts. We look at verse 27. He that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit. That's God's Spirit, what's in God's mind, or the Holy Spirit's mind. Because he maketh intercession with the saints according to the will of God. So what he's doing is the God will give us conviction. How many times have you ever sit under the word of God and been convicted about something you need to do? He'll also give us guidance. How many times have you had a decision that had to be made? And since, again, we don't know the future, we need wisdom that can't be necessarily earthly attained. And so we pray for guidance or a peace that passes all understanding. Someone you love dearly is going through it or in the hospital or you're, you've got a situation, you've got surgery coming up or you've got this or that. And all of a sudden, you know yourself internally well enough to know I ought to just be a mess, and yet I'm not. And it's that peace that passes all understanding. But the one of the main ways I found the Lord does that is he will bring to remembrance God's word. And so if we deny ourselves by not reading the scripture, not attending Sunday school, not coming to worship services, if we deny ourselves the word of God, how can God remind us of the promises we've never learned? And so the thing is, he usually brings to remembrance verses that will tie into the situation that we find ourselves in. I can't remember how many times it's happened to me that a, a circumstance is coming up in my life and all of us, what do I do? And then the remembrance of a verse that ties into this situation, and it helps me make the right choice. And that's God the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. The second point I want to look at tonight in these verses, in verse 28, because running right on the heels of the picture of God's help for our infirmities comes this great promise of verse 28 that says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that a great promise? I mean, think with me a little bit. Even with our limited information that we've already talked about, we pray with limited information because we don't know the future. We know that God promises to work it all out for our good. I mean, isn't that, I mean, you don't have to know the future if you know the God that cannot lie. 
has promised you that he'll work all things out for good. But, you know, like all of God's promises, there's conditions. Every one of God's promises is pretty well conditional. Um, you know, I have here written in my notes about the comfort that that verse was, and I talked about how that, uh, can you imagine a better promise in Romans eight twenty eight, short of the promise of heaven? As long as we walk the face of this earth, how do you want to know? I mean, what better promise can you have than knowing that everything's going to work together for good for you or work together for God's good? It may not necessarily going to be good for you, but it's going to be good. And because of that, when we get to heaven, we're going to be proud that that's the way the Lord used us and worked that out. But like most of God's promises, it's conditional. It talks about to them who love God. Well, how do you know if you love God? Well, what did Jesus say you'll be busy doing if you love him? Obeying him. And so there's a real easy benchmark to see if you're falling into the right camp or not. And then he talks about to them that are called. The question I have for you is when God calls, do you come running? In other words, when God burdens your heart for something, a ministry or a burden of helping somebody or whatever, how available are you, you know, to the Lord to be used? Um, the first thing the Lord calls us to, of course, is salvation. Uh, we must receive his son. We must get saved to have any relationship, to have the Holy Spirit, to be able to reach up to heaven for us to have Christ make an intercession for us. And this is in verse 29. Then he calls us to sanctification, to be conformed to the image of his Son. We'll look at that verse in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was God in the flesh in our great pattern. And everything that we do for the Lord, our sanctification, everything that we do for the Lord is to be done for his honor and for his glory because of what he's done for us first. And you ask yourself, well, what is the sanctification? It's getting yourself set aside for service to God. And with me, the first thing the Lord had to do is work on my language. I had a filthy mouth when I got saved at 18, and God had to start, start cleaning up my vocabulary. It also can come into patience. None of us have a problem with that, do we? Uh, we got that one conquered, right? Uh, patience even with one another. We're supposed to love one another. Love will help you have the patience that you need to have. So if we love one another like we should, it'll fall into place. Concern. How, you know, having a proper concern for others and not just so wrapped up in self. Everything about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you look at what we're called to do, is service to others. How can you serve the Lord without serving others? Uh, I can't, you know, everything else you do is you, you read your Bible so that you can be edified, so that you can be clean, so that you can know more, have those promises to claim. You pray, you can pray for others, that's a service, but a lot of times we also pray for ourselves. But almost anything we do as service is going to be doing something for somebody else. So concern and then service that goes with that concern. Um, 
God's desire is that, we're talking about the Lord Jesus, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If he wants, Jesus was risen to be the firstborn, as we see here again in this verse 29. It says there at the very end of it, that we're to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So what's our mission statement then? To try to share Christ with as many people as possible. You know, to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And allowing God to conform us to the image of his son gives us the best chance to be useful in the work of sharing Christ. Uh, The closer we try to model ourselves and have the love of Christ in our hearts, the less offensive we're going to be to the message of Christ to others. We're going to be less of an obstacle. We're going to be more of an instrument God can use. What's the the old saying? I heard it's not it's an old saying, but I heard it recently. But it's uh, share you know preach the gospel always use words if necessary. You know, in other words, let your life so shine before others in the way you conduct yourself, the way you treat others, and everything else that people just know there's something. There's something about your life. That's not normal. And then when you have to, you you get the chance to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But we're supposed to be witnessing often, but through our lifestyle. Um, He sits there in uh, verse 30. He sits there and he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Them that he justified, Romans 4, 8 says that blessed is the man whom God, whom the Lord will not impute sin. And he was quoting a scripture from Psalms. Basically, when you get saved, Jesus' blood washes away your sins. And God refuses to add sin or impute means to put on account. God refuses to record your sins. Now, do you do, you do your sins? Yeah. But God refuses to report, record them because they've already been paid for on the cross of Calvary. Uh, you know, um, like I said, I've said this before, and it's, it's just an amazing thing. If you took Rick Morse's record book up in heaven today and you brought it down, it's going to say he raised people from the dead, that he healed lepers, that he did this, he did that, and he did You know why? Because if it had anything to do with Rick Morse on it, it would be marred with sin because my righteousness is as filthy rags. So the slate's been washed clean of Rick Morse, and God says that he imputes the very righteousness of Christ onto my account. And that's the reason God can say he causes joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But one day when we stand up in heaven and God puts us up on a level with Jesus because he looks at us that way, we're going to know why we're there is because of Jesus. And that's the reason we're going to fall at his feet and throw our crowns at his feet because we know why we're there because we won't be tied up with pride anymore. Uh, we'll be overwhelmed anyway, but he, he, but luckily that, that sinful vestige of pride will be gone. But the thing is, 
God, he's, he's justified us, and then he's glorified us. Our home in heaven is certain. The day you got saved, your ticket was punched. You're just as much a citizen of heaven as you'll ever be. You just hadn't arrived yet. And then look at verse 33. And I'm skipping a lot of things that I could spend a lot of time on, but I'm not going to hold you late. But I want to look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. What We have an accuser, don't we? He's Satan. And for some reason, and I don't know why, God still allows him to go up into heaven. We know that from the book of Job, that he, he came up to heaven and he had to give an account of himself. And he said, I'm going to and fro on the earth, just messing with anybody I want. And he was lying because God said, well, have you considered my servant Job the one thorn in Satan's flesh? Uh, and uh, and we know the rest of the story if you've studied the book of Job. But the thing is, for as reading, there's going to have to be a new heaven and a new earth because heaven's been polluted by Satan. And the thing is, but we the the thing to realize is we have an accuser. But guess what? Paul's saying here in this verse, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Or Satan can rage and rant and point out my true faults and my true shortcomings. And Jesus says, yes, sir, but it's all been under the blood. Because the day I asked Jesus Christ to save my soul, my sins were washed away. And all my sins were futuristic when uh, Christ died on that cross. All my sins were on Jesus and they were paid for. And God has justified me. Jesus' shed blood allows God to be just and the justifier of us. In other words, God could remain holy and yet say sinners are my children. Because he didn't just say it didn't happen. Jesus paid for it. Sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the neat thing is right now we mess up. And Satan sometimes will come to you and try to discourage you with the areas that you've messed up. You need to get right with the Heavenly Father You need because that's who you sinned against, really. It may have involved other people that you hurt, but who you sinned against was God. You need to go to God, get that right, and then Satan may try to come to you and mess with you and say, well, what type of Christian are you? You, did it. you just need to remind him what he's got coming. Because uh, the thing is, he can't lay a charge on you because your sins have been paid for. You're justified. You're a child of God. You can't lose it. You didn't do anything to deserve it in the first place, so you can't do anything to lose it. People that don't believe in eternal security, they just live in fear. And they also minimize Christ. They need to realize our Savior paid it all on the cross of Calvary. And, and we're justified and then because of that, he's also glorified us. He, he has already promised us our home in heaven, our joint heir with Christ. But the thing is, what well, we do have a choice in the matter of, just like we had a choice in making the exception of Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a choice in allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of his Son so that we can then be sanctified and useful in the kingdom of God 
to see others come to the saving knowledge of Christ. And that's a decision we make daily. And we have to allow ourselves to come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We have to be praying so the Holy Spirit can help us pray. But then at the same time, just like I said, we need to realize we have the victory already in Christ. We work from the position that we've already won. And don't let Satan drag you back down through guilt or anything else. But the thing that I guess I want to close with is just again, we have two great helpers in these verses. One is the Holy Spirit helping us communicate with God if we will. And we work from a position that we're justified. We can't lose our position. We're children of God. But it was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And God's desire is that Jesus would be the first of many brethren. And we have an opportunity to serve a great risen Savior and the power that comes with that to help us support us in our ministries. And just, you know, allow the Lord to use us. Allow the Lord to use us. Brother Zach, could I get you to close us in a word?